0: Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. Today is a tactical day indeed. I'm joined by John. This is our post-Thanksgiving Tactical Tuesday. And so because of that, we're both quite sleepy and full of food. And we're only going to break down one hand today instead of the usual two. It's a good hand though. I think it'll uh
1: it will at least have two hands worth of excitement. Uh so I hope.
0: (laughs) And if you notice John is not in his normal, normal comfort of his own home right now. He's off traveling. He's only played like seven hands of poker over the last week or two. Fortunately for him, he's you know, lost like seven buy ins in those seven hands. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's just a solid like minus like 500 big blinds per 100 this week.
0: <clears> yeah, it's it's great. Well done. Congratulations. Um you, you you never play poker while you're traveling surrounded by um family or in an uncomfortable environment like things just at least in my experience they just never tend to go well.
1: Yeah, I somehow run into like way more sets
0: than usual when
1: <laughs> when I'm in that environment.
0: Yeah, it's it's better to just you know if you're going if you're going to take off um for a couple of weeks spending time with other people just outside of your own element probably better to just you know fully take that time off to recharge and get excited about playing poker when you get back home so uh yeah let's let's break down this first hand this only hand of today's tactical tuesday it's an ace and a nine of different suits so yeah let's fire it up
1: uh yeah so this starts with me in the cutoff with ace of clubs nine of spades um I open to $22. This is going to be pretty close to the bottom of my offsuit ASEX opening range. And the big blind, who is a reg, uh, defends, calls the $22. See a flop of 988 with two clubs. So I flop top paired, top kicker, and the backdoor nut flush draw. Um, I start out with a small uh, range C bet and C bet uh, third pot. So uh, just over $15. Do you want to talk about? c-betting this flop and, and whether you think it's uh i don't know whether you think this is a board that you'd be uh betting range
0: on i doubt it i don't think i would be sea betting range I, th- I think i'm probably doing a fair amount of checking on this board honestly like okay um overpairs, maybe taught this, this hand specifically i'm a fan of checking um Why i mean this hand specifically
1: Because it's just, I don't know, on the surface, it looks like a good hand to bet. Like, it looks like it can get tons of value from worse hands. Like, what's, how are you deciding, like, which good hands to
0: check back? Um, So, the good hands to check back, I guess, would be hands that block a lot of their check raise bluffs. So, like, jacks and tens, um, those type of hands. Like, this hand specifically doesn't really block their check raises. So, I think that, like, betting it is fine. Like, betting it and then effectively calling down. Is pretty much what your what your plan is going to be. I think that like you are going to get check raise at a highish frequency here on the flop, and so I would be prepared for that. Especially when I, you know, when you start out with a third. So like I don't know. I think you could bet or check, and either one is just going to be totally fine. Um, for simplifying purposes, like checking back and then calling down is like playing this hand for two bets instead of possibly four bets. Um, which would be my preference, but
1: okay. So then, if you were you know on the swap and, and playing your C betting strategy, would you be C betting small, like the size, the one third size that I went for? Or it, would you maybe have a larger size given that you're doing way more checking back than I am? It sounds like
0: I would still use a small size, like okay. uh, I, I'm fine with getting raised. I think I'm going to get raised a fair amount, and I think that like when I do get raised. I'll have an equity advantage with this hand. So, like, yeah, I think the hands that like continue um, facing the big bet are hands that are more are are likely to check raise facing the small bet. And then we get multiple bets like on the turn and river. We've got a lot of visibility for calling down. Just got a really good handle on how to play those spots. So, like, I start out small because facing the raise is like not disastrous. If you start out big. Um, and get raised, then you're kind of in no man's land. I think at that All point, right. that's that's sort of like a lot of question marks. Gotcha, gotcha.
1: Okay, final question on the flop. What are like the non-strong hands that you're checking back? Like, what are the weak hands that, are the weaker parts of your range that you're checking back on the flop?
0: Um, I mean, some like Queen Ten, Queen Jack. I think those type of hands. Uh, maybe some Ace highs. Um, probably betting. Sp- a lot of my king highs, but I think I could check those back too. I think that like, I mean, honestly, it's just going to be a mix for me as it relates to the hands that I check back. I'm doing a fair amount of checking and I think that like versus double check, I'm going to start betting. So like, (laughs) you know, that's another thing. Like you can check back some weak hands and then just fold them to a turn bet and then just go bet bet um, if you don't turn any equity. So I think that like that's reasonable too. Like if, you know, my hands that are like king jack high i'm totally fine um checking back flop and then investing two more bets on the turn of the river on this board facing a double check because i think that it's likely going to be overfolded. so i don't know it's a very flexible situation where i think you can take a wide variety of actions um and again the one that like puts me in no man's land where uh would require me to invest a significant amount of time studying, would be the big bet on this board because I, I'm unsure what to do uh, once we big bet and then face a raise. Gotcha. Yeah. I also, okay. I also think we've got too many hands to bet here to really use the big bet, too. Like we just have like bunches right. of pairs, bunches of straight draws, like just a lot of, lot of different hands that make, make me not want to use the big bet.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Um, so I do get check raised on this flop. Uh, I think I got check raised pretty small. Uh, So I bet fifteen dollars. Big blind check raises to fifty-four. Again, like Brad said, I think there's just no shortage of hands that the big blind will want to check-raise on this flop. There's tons of straight draws available, tons of flush draws available, and and then obviously for value, um, you know, you can just pick his like eight X and and you know he'll have like a pretty strong value range. Turn is a ten of clubs, which completes. A lot of stuff. The board is now eight eight nine ten with three clubs. The front door flush completes, and the big blind uh, leads turn for a small size. He bets forty seven dollars, uh, so about a third pot. I really like the size on the turn, given that um, I think the big blind is going to, in general is going to struggle to find bluffs once the straight draw gets there and the and the uh, flush draw gets there. It's going to be a bunch of. Um, you know, now he's like turned some straights he's turned some flushes and he has 8x um and uh, again like I said not not a whole lot of bluffs um, so I, I really like the size on the turn from the big blind um do you have any anything
0: you wanted to say about this one-third size not really I mean I like like you said I mean they, they just don't have a too many natural bluffs so like the small sizing um, is probably their preference like I, I think that they could check a lot of their like pairs and you know, bet some hands like king-queen with the king or queen of clubs, like, for the big sizing, um, while also betting, like, their nut flushes and their boats. I think that's, like, that that would be fairly reasonable as well. So, like, again, my preference here would probably be to check and check or bet, like, a polarized range. But I think that there's a lot of merit to betting the one-third out of position. I just think that, like, the one-third out of position on the turn is, like, exceptionally easy for us to play against in position. We're just going to make like really good decisions every single time because yep. we just have a hand, <laughs> like no matter what we just have like a pretty easy decision. So I'm not, I don't know. Again, there's like a uh, competing incentives. Gotcha.
1: Okay. Yeah. Again, I agree. I, I agree with that. Like, I think what you're kind of getting at on the, on the turn, it's, it's very easy for us to play against this one third size, but I think, what I would expect is the big blind to bet small on the turn and then uh, polarize for a really large size on the river on a lot of rivers, um, which, yeah, it makes the turn easy for us to play. But I think uh, what's the know, my, my, benefit, I'm already, like sort of dreading like the the river polarization.
0: Yeah, but what's the benefit to like polarizing on the river and not polarizing on the turn? Like it's a smaller pot. You can put less pressure on villain. Like, I I don't really see the benefit of going, like, small-big versus, like, big-big. I think big-big is going to outperform small-big, personally.
1: I think this lets you bet some hands like 8x on the turn, like, for value. Like, hands that aren't straights and flushes and and not full houses. And, you know, I'm still going to have to call with ace of clubs, you know, nine. Uh, Probably still going to have to call with every nine.
0: It's a good point. I mean, just for that specific region of their range, which is you know probably like a, I mean that's a, a small value
1: region on the flop.
0: It is, but I mean they have eight nine, they have eight ten, like they have flushes, they have straights. So like trips is a part of their range, but it's like you know fifteen twenty percent max. I would okay, think. okay. Um. um.
1: So yeah, I call the forty seven dollars pretty easy call for us with the nut flush draw and the
0: pair. Um, I, I I do think villain has something here though. By the way, like I I think that like the their sizing on the turn indicates that like they're not just like out on a limb with nothing. So you don't think he has like king jack with the with like one club? You don't think he has those types of hands when he bets small on the turn? I don't think so. I think that those hands are better served by polarizing turn and then polarizing river. Personally, but. I could be wrong. Okay.
1: Yeah. I, I, yeah, my opinion was different. I thought that they would just be betting range or close to range on the turn for that size and then doing whatever they want to do on the river. So I I was expecting a really big river bet here from just their boats and whatever bluffs that they have. That is not what happens though. I think the big blind actually leads river for a very small size, which
0: I did not expect. I think what, like, what's problematic. you know, if they go small and then like really big on the river here, with like say their flushes um, or their straights or maybe their eight x, at like you said on the turn, like if we have boats, if we have nut flushes, if we have straight flushes, like we just get to put the last bet in on the river, right. and it's like very comfortable, very easy for us, and like I, I don't know that that's necessarily great for them, but anyway, they they do choose this small bet, which actually. I'm kind of on board with this small bet, really. Like it, Now they're giving themselves the ability to jam versus a raise, which I think is a pretty cool way to structure this hand.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> some nice foreshadowing there for, for what's about to happen. I uh, I hemmed and hawed uh, facing this bet. I used a lot of my time bank uh, deciding whether to raise or not. That probably is a tell in and it of, it of itself to, to the big blind. Um, fact that I had to think for quite a bit before raising. Uh, didn't know what size I should be raising to facing this quarter, quarter pot river bet. Didn't know whether uh, I would be calling a jam if I did raise and get jammed on. Didn't think that that would happen all that frequently. Uh, so I wasn't too worried about that. Um, How come? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should have been. I, I, I just expected. So this is what I expected. I, I expected... The big blind to be a little bit more greedy with their really strong hands on the river. I expected their boats and straight flushes to just go for a much more polar sizing on the river, and you know maybe even like maybe even like slight overbet uh, on the river because I think like I don't know that's like when when the hmm, that's actually a good point because the big blind really has like probably has like almost no bluffs. On the river, right? When they get to this point. Like even the hands that were like bluffs on the turn, like King King Jack with like a club has now
0: made a flush. <laughs> it's funny, I just said why and you said good point. But actually, like I agree with you, which is I was basically just a- asking for clarification on the decision. Oh no, on the no, 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 my mind
1: on the river though because like i i no,
0: I think oh. they should go big because, like, you've got a lot of bluff catchers in your range because of how they structured the turn strategy. So, like, you've got jacks, you've got queens, you've got kings, you've got aces. You have like ace nine. You've got jack ten. You've got queen ten. And I mean, whenever you've got uh, a lot of decent bluff catchers and they've got a polarized range, like, it feels like they should just go big on the river.
1: Yeah, and also, uh, I, I I should want to correct myself. I think I was not giving the big blind enough credit for finding bluffs. Like, I think the big blind definitely does arrive on the river with some bluffs, like a hand, like maybe like King seven of diamonds, like diamond, diamond hands that get check raised on the flop um, are, you know, just going to be total air balls now. Uh, so maybe I was mistaken twice. I
0: I think this hand, like, I do know that like, as a player, you tend to not use the small sizing as bluffs. And so right. there could be some projection here in right, right. Filling small sizing because you don't really use them as bluffs. So you find it more difficult to find, bluffs from villain when they have them.
1: Regardless, that still I don't know if that like justifies like my raise like for for, for like for, for one thing like the big blind has to call this raise with a worse hand. Yeah. Uh which I don't know how often that happens. Um so why would you choose 4x? I don't know. I don't know what size to go. Like I, I if I thought if I went like way too small, like it would be like, well, then I like really don't have any bluffs but that like maybe that's like the that's the size that like the king of clubs jack of diamonds type or jack of hearts type hands uh finds a call like maybe they find a call against like the one fifty or like one sixty river size. my main reason for going like this large i guess was uh that I at least wanted to be able to rep like some bluffs <laughs> again
0: that like, like that goes sort of back to the the pro- projection thing right like you think the small, you think they're under bluffing with a small bet and then versus small raise, it's again like, oh, yeah. I just don't have any bluffs here. Like they, they know that I don't have any bluffs here because I'm choosing the small sizing. When, like, I think right. that's how you think about it. But like, you know, if they do have a hand like Queen Jack or six, seven, or like King Queen with a King of Clubs or King Jack with a Jack of Clubs and you raise to 150, I mean, their thought process is going to look something like, well, I don't know if they have bluffs here, but I'm not folding, right, getting right. such a good price.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if they have bluffs here, but if they have even one bluff, like I just, I need yeah, to just call like, this So Yeah.
0: One like King Jack with the Jack of Clubs or King, Uh, I don't even know what you can have at this point. I guess you could call the term with like King Jack of Diamonds or something, or maybe like some sort of Ace-9 that turns itself into a bluff. May not right, be right, worst. right. All right, like ten nine maybe turns itself into a bluff yeah, on t- the river, or 10-9. like that. Yeah, sure. So you choose the 4X sizing, and villain. Much to your sadness it sounds like you're not a fan day. of the forex sizing. I don't know if you want to if
1: you want to talk about what sizing you would have gone if you somehow got yourself in the situation.
0: I would have gone like the small sizing, like one really small sizing. I mean, okay. just the really yeah. small sizing, trying to eke out value. Like I think my hand is incentivized to go small, and. Yeah yeah just follow the incentives of my hand basically okay
1: uh yep and then i do get the dreaded three bet jam on the river getting just over two to one Uh, really i think to me the spot boils down to does the big blind find a bluff with this like bet three bet line it's a pretty i don't know the spot doesn't occur very often uh I don't
0: know. I, Yeah. I I don't know. Um, (laughs) I'm unsure. Like, I I think that the only time that I looked at this hand uh, previous to this was like, I had just woken up in the morning and fired it up and like looked at it. And I was like, huh, I don't know. Um, But now that looking at it with more clarity and in-depth and talking about every decision, I think like we have two questions here. Like how often does villain find value with this line? Like how often are they choosing to size down on the turn and then size down on the river in hopes that you raise so that they can bet three bet with straight flushes and boats? I don't really know the answer to that question. And I I would suspect that, you know, you think they would bet their full range at small size on the turn. I think they have two different sizings at least. And on the river, I certainly think they have multiple different sizings here. So for them to reserve like their top end value to go for a bet three bet, um, it feels tough for me. It feels like what's more likely is that they, you know, have hands that they're trying to thin value bet and w- that get raised, and then they decide to you know jam the river. So it feels like they have more available bluffs than they have value personally. But again, like this is not a not a situation that's like. <laughs> you know, the sample size of this is probably like one in 10 million hands. So we're not going to get a lot of good data on this situation. Just intuitively, I think that they have more available hands to bluff with than they do to value bet because of their strategy. So I would just call um, personally that. But I do think that like folding is, folding is reasonable, like, especially if you have uh, you know, straight flushes and boats and you know, those, those hands in your range to where you can fold the nut flush. Uh, I think having a 9 is pretty good. You having block, a 9 is awesome. Yeah, you, you block 8-9. Um, nine, um, nine, nine. And 9-9, and nine, nine, the one combo of 9-9. Nine, nine. So, yeah, I mean, I, basically when I feel like it's hard for a villain to have value... Or a lot of value in the range, and they have a, a higher availability of hands that they will bluff with. I tend to just call. That's my personal motto. Um, I don't love folding anyway. But yeah.
1: Okay. So similar. I, I did not have like as uh, as great of uh, like logical reasoning in the spot as as you just did. Uh, my the extent of my like reasoning was like. Well, I'd expect them to go bigger on the river for with like their value hands, and so maybe they just have some again, like you said, some thin value that turns it, turns itself into a bluff. Another thing that I had like going through my head, I'll admit, uh, last on last week's Tactical Tuesday, we uh, reviewed some footage from Shu, um, who's also uh, uh, like one of the better, one of the best players in the CPG community, and like I think it was like a day or two before I played this hand, uh, we were looking at some uh, another member of the uh, community stands who also plays pretty high stakes and Chu was just saying to me like yeah i just realized that you can't fold good hands on the river no matter what because people just find bluffs that you don't expect them to have and uh, i think that maybe that becomes more and more true um the higher stakes you play like people are just slightly more aggressive and and more creative with their with their bluff bluff combos um and so i will admit that like that was also just like Ringing in my ears was like you just can't fold good hands on the river because people, people will find the people will find the wacky bluffs that you don't expect and and that's also like true for like you know the, the opposite is like true for me where like how many tactical Tuesdays have we done where like I just turned some ridiculous you know turned some hand into a ridiculous bluff on the river that my opponent Polly didn't expect me to probably didn't expect me to turn into a bluff um, so yeah I, I <laughs> that was sort of my main uh, reason for bet calling this river
0: yeah I think there's a lot to unpack. Um, from what you just said there, I think that first of all, like, uh, I know we've mentioned this in plenty of previous Tactical Tuesdays, but like when you're deciding whether or not to raise on the river, I think that like asking yourself what you plan on doing versus jam before you raise is probably a good question um, to ask so that you're not just in no man's land when you face a jam unexpectedly. I think too that like it, it, it's it can be a bit of oversimplification, just like saying, you know, Cole rivers uh, (laughs) against good players because they find a bunch of wacky bluffs, but like, yeah, I I don't really, I'm not really down with that sort of oversimplification, but what I would say is, um, yeah, it's just higher stakes players, more adept players. You know, the point of this game is to place as many plus EV bets as you can, you you can, and Patrick Howard tweeted out a, long, a, a while back that, like, one commonality in that separates, you know, really good players or players with a lot of potential versus players with lower potential is that um, players with higher potential and really good players, they're just fighters, right? They, they just exhaust every possibility to place as many plus EV bets as they possibly can. And... Um, Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, you said yourself, like you find unnatural bet three bet bluffs on the river. It's because you're competing and you're trying to find plus EV bets and you're trying to figure out a way to win the hand. And it's only when you exhaust all of those options that you end up folding. So in that same vein, you know, this applies to a lot of the villains that you play against at 1K and L2. They're going to fight. They're going to battle. And in a spot like this, you know, the oversimplification i i'm not really on board with but then like this situation where yeah they do have a higher availability of bluffs and it's not unreasonable for them to believe like oh based on whatever data point they have in in real time which i don't know what they have like maybe they have a timing tell maybe you know they they picked up some read that basically they felt like you didn't have a lot of bluffs or you didn't have um a lot of top end value on the river maybe it's because you tanked all the way down before deciding to raise um, paired with the the timing of your turn decision. I don't know exactly what it is, but basically it's not exactly a stretch for them to say, I think this villain has a lot of nut flushes in their range when they choose to raise the river here. I've got all the boats. Um, so I'm going to jam and just kind of try to fold out their full range or most of, most of the hands that they have. Like, I, I don't think that's unreasonable. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So... Um, so- yeah so, so what'd you do what's the what's the conclusion of this hand? This one hand tactical Tuesday is actually yeah just as long as all the other ones <laughs> <laughs> so I do put in the seven hundred dollars seven hundred and twenty dollars I guess and get shown <sighs> the queen six of clubs, so they turn their they have a double blocker to I mean, think it's a really straight, cool hand straight it's straight cool. flushes, yeah. Double, double blocker to the straight flushes. They bet going for thin value. Once they get raised, they feel like you know their hand doesn't have enough showdown value to call, so they turn it into a bluff. Um, yeah, I think that it's an interesting hand. I, I think that they could also check the river, although I don't mind their decision to bet the river for thin value as well. Um, Especially
1: so, if they're setting this thing up. Right. Well,
0: I don't know that they're setting it up. I, again, like, I think that these things sort of happen organically in the moment where it's like, okay. Oh, I'm going to bet. And then I'm going to three bet versus race. Like, I think they get raised and that's when the wheels start turning as to finding the three bet. So like, I think okay. it's then value, then you raise and then well, Whoa, maybe like, that, two straight
1: plus blockers. <laughs> well, I
0: mean, they, you, you thought about it for your whole time bank. Right. So like that's That's not just time for you to think about it. They're also thinking about what to do facing a raise if right. that happens. you know, I think that like this is if you if you really watch yourself or think about how you think about hands while you're playing, you more than likely do the same thing where villain tanks and you're sort of mapping out. Your actions facing a spectrum of decisions, like okay, if they raise, what am I going to do here? And actually, it's not even a spectrum of decisions, right? Like if you call, the hands over, so it doesn't matter. Like they don't I need to- hold a- the
1: hands over, yeah. right? So the All only they have to worry about is yeah. the
0: raise. So they only have to be thinking about like what do I do if I get raised? And then yeah, they just they find this hand, which again is it's a pretty cool hand, and yeah, I think that the problem the problem that they run into is they most likely don't play their full houses this way or their straight flushes. And that just kind of leaves them vulnerable. But there you go. Um, Cool, man. Good hand. Great hand. We're 27 minutes in. Thank you uh, to the listener for listening to this Thanksgiving. Apparently, we're not so sleepy after Thanksgiving after all. We found the energy to discuss this, (laughs) this spot forever. Thank God we don't have a second hand. Um, yeah, seriously, <laughs> the longest tactical Tuesday ever, for sure. And uh, yeah, so we'll catch you next week, John. Anything left to say? See you next week. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness dot com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.